0: Thank you, Claire. Good morning. If you'll open your Bibles with me and turn to Isaiah chapter 55. Anybody else have cannons going off in the middle of the night beside their house last night? Man, thunder. It was really something. But don't worry, don't fear. If the lights go out here, I won't quit preaching. we will just carry on. In case some of you are worried. Isaiah 55. So, we're now on the other side of the sin-bearing servant of God. That he told us about, Isaiah, in chapter 42, 49, 50, and 52, and 53. The four servant songs about the suffering servant, Jesus. And Christ, of course, identifies himself when he starts his ministry... He takes up those scrolls and the local church, essentially, he reads it and says, that's me, that's that's who I am. Now, in chapter 54, the first words then after the last explanation of the servant song that he would carry our sins and die for us is sing, cry aloud, proclaim his greatness Don't let shame keep you away from what God has done for you. That's chapter 54. 55, which I think Jesus built more of His teaching upon than any other chapter in the Old Testament. Five times in the first three verses, it commands the thirsty to come without money and receive spiritual water, spiritual wine, And milk from God. Uh, Now, doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound like Jesus? Well, yes, John 7, that if anyone thirsts, Jesus says, let him come to me and drink. It's John 6, 27. Don't labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. You see, Isaiah calls us to come, listen, look, seek. Those are His words here in chapter 55. Because of the free grace purchased for us and the suffering servant's labors on the cross. But what He makes so clear is maybe our culture's greatest confusion with grace that it is not a freedom to do as we choose, but it's a freedom that now calls us to a joyful turning Our lives and our wills towards the Lord. So let's just read Isaiah chapter 55. And we'll go 1 to 11. Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. Verse 6. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Let's pray for our time. Father, what a great word to the thirsty Come, come eat, come drink the best of wine, come have milk, come have water, come be satisfied through what the suffering servant has accomplished for you. Come, come to me if you're thirsty. Don't attempt to buy. Don't attempt to come through your works and your self-righteousness. Father, teach us about the accomplishments of our Savior and the grace which He purchased for us now. May we be a people who cling and approach You trusting in the grace of Jesus Christ. Father, and let Your Holy Spirit work, because I know many of us did not sleep well last night with this big storm. Father, let Your Holy Spirit, despite of those things, work and teach us now the Word and the glory of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. One of Jesus' most famous parables is the parable of the story of the the great banquet. He was asked to dine at the home of a ruler of the Pharisees, of the religious class. And he would be there eating with lots of religious leaders and important people. And in the midst of this feast, he looked over at the man who had invited him and He said, when you give a banquet, don't just invite the important people, but invite the lame, the poor, the crippled, the blind. And and you can sense maybe the situation started getting a little hot. And one of the guests chimed in and said, yes, but blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. See, the, the presumption was, look, we're all good religious people here. Let's not argue Let's not fight now. We're going to all eat bread together in heaven. Jesus then told this story. He said, a wealthy man, and you probably know it well, a wealthy man gave a banquet. And he sent out an invitation. And the people agreed to come. And when it was time for the banquet, he, he told his servants, okay, now go to my invited guests and tell them it's all ready. It, it's all prepared here. Tell them to Come. And the servants went out and one by one by one by one, the invited guests came up with excuses. And so they came back to the head of the banquet and they said, they're not coming. <laughs> and he says, go to the highways, go to the hedges, go to the streets, go to the lanes and invite them, tell them to come for it's all prepared for them that my house may Be filled. Now what is Jesus saying? Come, it's ready. Come drink, come eat. He is building a story off the truth of Isaiah 55. That's Isaiah 55. You see, Isaiah 55 is a call to come and be satisfied in God's grace and the accomplishments of the suffering servant. To all those who are spiritually thirsty... The suffering servant has carried your sins. Come, for the banquet now is prepared. Yet God's grace is an open invitation, but there is a requirement. Repentance. From not just your unrighteousness, but from your righteousness that you think comes from religious actions. So with a new submission to Christ and His Word, come. Now, here we see a clear distinction between those who belong to the suffering servant Christ and those who don't. The believer has come to Him in His spiritual or her spiritual thirst and found saving grace through faith. Now, through the Spirit in them, they count the Word as the surest truth they know and has a deep commitment in their hearts to love and serve the God of the word. That's Isaiah 55. Now, the spiritual nonbeliever often wants grace, wants to know that they have the love of God, but they want it on their own terms. They still want to retain a heart that trusts in their own thoughts, rest in their own morality and is always seeking to escape responsibility to obey God's will and word. Now, there's several things that we want to see in this text about gospel grace that the New Testament and Jesus thinks is so important that He teaches it again and again and again. So here's point one. If you're taking notes. Greats cannot be purchased. Grace cannot be purchased because it's already been purchased. Verse 1 with me. Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Stop there. Four times he says come. 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 And you know why he says that? Because he wants people to come. (laughs) And be satisfied with water, with milk, with wine. The invitation is for those who are spiritually thirsty. Now, you say, okay, Rusty, what does he mean then by thirsty? What's he referring to? Well, it's an invitation to those who are not indifferent towards God whose desire to know God is not weak, is not dull, is not lifeless. If you desire to know God, desire to be free from guilt and shame, desire to be redeemed by grace, come, he's saying. Now, Jesus stood in the middle of a great feast preaching, and here's what he said. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He is saying, I am the grace that Isaiah told you about. I am the one who gives you water, milk, and wine. That's me from my Holy Spirit to come to you and satisfy your thirst. And notice then, he says, come without money. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Now, the New Testament finishes with that verse. In the book of Revelation. Revelation twenty-two seventeen. Let me just read that for you. Come, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. You see, we cannot buy what is not for sale. What's already been purchased for us. And notice how important free grace is. It's accomplished by the suffering servant, Isaiah tells us. It's offered through the preaching of Christ in his life. And in the book of Revelations, at the very end, the church is proclaiming this very verse. Come! It's been purchased. That is the message of the church. The gospel of grace. Now the question then is raised by Isaiah. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and work for that does not satisfy you? And he is speaking to those who want God, yet their method of attaining salvation and grace is their own labor, is their own industry. It's keeping God's rules and laws, it's good moral achievements. One who thinks I don't need grace to be free, I can achieve God wants what wants for me by myself." Now notice how he finishes his thoughts by saying, "Come and live." Look at verse three with me, verse three. "Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David." You see those words? Hear me that your soul may live. The point is, don't just do nothing when you hear the Gospel. Get up, flee to Jesus, buy and receive what someone else has purchased for you. Salvation and satisfaction for your thirst. Now notice how then he connects that to the covenant immediately. The invitation is to come to the covenant. And do you see the word there? Love. Connected to the covenant? In, in Hebrew, the word is hesed. And it's an incredibly important word. It means something like steadfast or eternal or enduring love of God for you. And it's always connected to the covenant, to, to this relationship that God makes with his people. So we, we see that word then with Abraham. When God makes that eternal covenant, it's hesed love. Everlasting. We see it the same thing with the, the one he made with Moses and the law. It's hesed love. And the covenant he made with David, promising that an heir of David, the Messiah, would be on the throne. The word that's used there is hesed love. And he says to you, come. Come to me by the work of the suffering servant and you will be in my covenant and experience my everlasting has said love. Ray Ortland says, Our world is a vast marketplace of unsatisfying but costly remedies for our God shaped longings, but we are not smart shoppers. <laughs> He's saying we go to the wrong places to fulfill our thirst. During uh, the Spanish American War, there was an incident with Clara Barton, who was overseeing the work of the Red Cross in Cuba. And one day, Colonel Theodore Roosevelt came to her and wanted to buy food for his sick and his wounded Rough Riders. And she refused to sell him any. (laughs) Imagine that, refusing Teddy Roosevelt. Well, that's what she did. Roosevelt was perplexed because his men needed help. They were injured. He was prepared to pay out of his own pocket even. And when he asked someone, listen, why will she not sell me food and supplies? He was told this. Because they are free. Just ask for them. A smile broke over his face. He understood the provisions were not for sale because they had already been purchased and they were free. And my friends, Isaiah is saying he is giving us the Gospel before Jesus. Come, eat, delight, be satisfied, experience my covenant love if you are thirsty for grace. The question then is, okay, Rusty, I get the murderer needs grace of Jesus, but why a religious woman? Right? Or why a religious man? Well, grace is commonly defined as undeserved favor, isn't it? But it's actually much more. If I'm walking down the street and I see a homeless man and I feed him, I clothe him, I put him up in a hotel, that's undeserved favor, but that's not grace. Now, if I'm walking down the street and that man clobbers me over the head and steals my wallet, and then I get up and I go find him on the streets, and I clothe him, I feed him, and I put him up in a hotel, the very one who had wounded me with his actions, That is the biblical idea of grace. Grace is unmerited favor received by someone who has harmed you. By someone who has sinned against you. So in every way the Scripture says our sin is against God, yet He is the one calling us to come to Him. To receive everlasting love. So, No one is so good that they don't need Christ or so bad that they cannot have Christ. The gospel is not about doing to make God pleased with you, but about what God has done to make you pleasing to Him through the work of the suffering servant. So grace can't be purchased because it's already been purchased. That's point one. Now let's go to the second. Grace always demands a response. And that response is repentance. Point two, grace calls us to repentance. If you would, look in your Bibles with me at verse 6 to 8. Verses 6 to 8. I'll just read verse 6. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Stop there. Notice the order that He's been given. Four times, he says, come. Three times, he says, listen. Two times, he says, look. And final command here, one time. Seek. Now, verse 7. Look in your Scriptures with me. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will Abundantly parting. This is repentance. When he's saying come and seek, he's describing how we come, and that's through repentance. But notice there, there's two aspects of repentance. There's turning away from my will and turning to God's will. Isaiah says, forsake your thoughts and your ways. So that is half of repentance. Turning away from my unrighteous thoughts and desires. That's just half. The other half is to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. In other words, repentance is not Lent where we give something up, right? It, where we stop doing something. No, no, no. It is turning from my sin to God while trusting in his gracious pardon accomplished by Christ. You see, the repentance that he is describing is not just from our sinful actions, but also from our religious actions as well. Okay, what do you mean? The unrighteous thoughts that we are to turn from to grace, he describes them in verse 2 as this, spending your, your money on that which is not bread. In other words, he's saying repentance has two arms. Yes. Repent of breaking God's law. Absolutely, repent of your sin. But also repent for believing that my labor, my goodness, my religious activities are living up to God's standards. From seeking to buy spiritual bread with my own religious services. So, he is calling the unrighteous and the self righteous to come, listen, look, seek grace from the Lamb. Now, that message is hard for a person who's very religious and very prideful in what they do for God. Total free grace, which calls the unrighteous and the self righteous to repentance, is not how we view God. He knows that. And that's the reason he gives us verse 8 and 9. Look in your Bibles with me. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. Stop. Several years ago, I had a good friend and his son had turned away from the Lord at university. And when asked why, His response was, I can't believe that God's plan to save a quote-unquote fallen world, he said, would be through the death of one man and then the dependence upon the church to take that message out to the ends of the earth. I can't believe that God would do it like that. The response of the world to the cross and God's declaration of absolute free grace is the only road to salvation is that is not how it should be done. So those depending on rules say God would never do it all for me. I must add something to be saved. It can't be absolute grace. Those depending on God's love and mercy say, how can God be loving and require me to repent of my lifestyle which is so important to me? It's my very identity. He would never ask me to give that up. And God says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts than your thoughts. Grace independent of effort. Grace through faith alone. Grace dependent upon God's works are God's thoughts and plans for fallen mankind to be redeemed. And that's it. Now, here's what I often see in the church. The person who has closed his eyes to the gospel message, or forgets they are clean, or is not a believer seeks to add religious activities and virtues to appear and to prove to others that they are clean, that they are righteous. In other words, they're real good at putting up an external wall that says, look what I've done for God. They feel the only way God will be pleased with them is if they live a virtuous life, but there's a problem. Power. Ability. Ability. Away from Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, there is no ability or power to change. So they add external things that are more visible and obtainable. They add a whole list of do's and don'ts. But the believer who holds firmly to the promises of gospel grace accomplished by the Messiah... They, motivated by the love for Christ and desire to know and please Him, bear fruits of righteousness because the Holy Spirit is in them. For the believer, there is no need to reduce godliness to something small, some little list of do's and don'ts, of externals, and live under a pretense of perfection that we do it all. Because we know Christ gives the power to change and the grace when we fail. So Isaiah's grace calls us to repent not just of our unrighteous acts, but of our self-righteous thoughts going and seeking to buy spiritual bread based upon my own works. Now, point three, and we'll finish here. Grace can't be purchased. It calls us a total repentance. And finally, it comes through the Word. Verse 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the the eater, so shall my Word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Okay? So I read verses 9. It said the thoughts of God are higher than my thoughts. Okay? How do I know those thoughts? That's the reason He gives you verse 10 and 11. You know the thoughts of God from the Word. You see? He says as rain and snow come down, bringing forth, sprout, bread. So God's Word, His revelation, will have an effect. It will produce fruit. It will succeed even if they are opposed. It's opposed to man's thoughts. And notice the promise. It will not return to me empty. It will accomplish my purposes. God's Word is like rain. It gives life, and it keeps life. God uses His Word to save us and to sustain us once we become believers. It is the sword in the Spirit's hand accomplishing His will on the Word. John Flavel says, keep the Word, and the Word will keep you. There was a missionary years ago by the name of Mr. Knott, who was in a South Sea island And he used to gather all the natives together and he would read them the Scriptures. And at one time, he was reading them the book of John. And he happened to get to John 3.16. And so he read, For God so loved the world that He gave His only unique Son, or begotten Son, that all who believed shall not perish, but have eternal life. And when he finished, one of the natives who had listened very attentively says, what were those words? can you read that again to me? Mr. Knott read John 3.16 again. The native man rose from his seat and said, is that true? Can that be true? That God loves a world that does not love Him? That He would give His Son to die so we don't have to die? Mr. Knott simply read the words again. God so loved the world. And told him, It's true that all who believe will not perish, but have eternal life. The native was utterly overwhelmed with his feelings and his emotions so powerful. He burst into tears. He got up and he left the man to go into his own hut and think about the kind of God who would love man so much when we did not return that love. You see, God's Word accomplishes its purposes. Now, let's close with these last thoughts. God says, yes, my thoughts are not your thoughts. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways, my love, my grace, what I have done for you on the cross through the suffering servant is higher than anything that you could possibly hope for or imagine. God has a great purpose for His Word, my friends, in your life. For you to regularly behold His greatness, it comes through the Word. And as you do to continue to trust His thoughts for your life, let me just explain that. If you love a person, your love for that person is excited the more that you come in contact with that person, is it not? Every time you see that person, maybe your daughter that comes home from university, when they walk through the door, your heart leaps. You want to hug them and kiss them and give them a head noogie or whatever you do. Because they stand before you. Your affections rise. Listen, that's what the Word of God accomplishes in your life. And that's the reason it is so critical for you to regularly be in the Word. Because in God's grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you come face to face with Christ, His glory, and His thoughts for you and your life, which are not your thoughts, but are His thoughts and which are good. And as you do, He brings your will in line with His will. In his thoughts. This is the rich food that money cannot buy. A relationship with the living God, salvation purchased, accomplished, completely finished by the suffering servant. All of grace, all received by faith and by repentance. Father, I just praise you. Um, I thank You for extraordinary grace. Your thoughts. Your thoughts. Our thoughts always go to what do I have to do? Your thoughts, what do I need to do to display My glory, My greatness that's unseen and lost and to save and reveal it through the salvation of mankind. God, Your thoughts. I praise You and I pray for every believer in this room. Father, that there would be a real repentance from unrighteousness and from self-righteousness seeking to buy Your favor with our actions. Believing that You are more pleased with us because we come to church or because we read the Bible. Father, I just praise You for the Gospel of grace which has sealed us and brought us into eternal, hesed covenantal love with You. You will not let us go. And I thank You so much for that. Reveal Your glory to each of us in a greater and more profound way through the Word. Let Your will and Your purposes be accomplished in our life through Your Word and in our church. We pray all this in the name of our suffering servant, our Messiah, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.